Good afternoon, everybody. Um, thank you so much for joining our conference call today. Um, we have Bobby Mark, uh, Bobby Mark, sorry, um, and Mike Schmitz. Um, they'll be part of our combine coverage, which begins uh, tomorrow at three o'clock. Um, you know, after a very exciting lottery. Um, so we're just going to go ahead and kick it off. Um, I'm going to start with Donald Hunt from the Philadelphia Tribune, um, with Barry Jackson from the Miami Herald on deck. Go ahead, Donald. Okay, yeah, uh, just like to know who would be available for the 76ers at number 24 in, in, in Bobby and Mike's uh, uh, view. Okay, I think um, Mike, okay, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a variety of different guys, you know. Um, it, it's hard to say for sure, uh, you know, who's going to be there right now just because still fairly early in the process, you know, we still have – a month ahead of us here. Um, but I think that's the spot where you find a lot of, you know, veteran guys who are, who are ready to step in right away. Um, guys who have, you know, been good college players who maybe aren't seen as having uh, as much upside, um, but, you know, can, can have an impact from day one. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's a wide variety of players, to be honest. And the thing about this draft is uh, after really the top three, there's not a whole lot of certainty. Um, so I think, you know, you could see some movement for sure, but a, a lot of really accomplished college players, I think, are going to be guys who are in that range. And I think, I think where they're picking too is that you can get the best available, and you can get also need, especially how that roster is with their bench going into free agency. Um, potentially, could have some restrictions based on the cost of your free agents that uh, whoever they draft could come in and potentially play because that could be one of their big free agent additions outside of their, uh, outside of their core guys. Okay. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Donald. All right. Up next, we have Barry Jackson from Miami Herald um, with Peter Bott from the New York Post on deck. Go ahead, Barry. Thanks. I one for each. Uh, please, Mike, I was going to ask you what you thought of the uh, who has the highest ceiling of the guys in Miami's range of 13. If you look at realistic options like Nasir Little, Kevin Porter, the two Gonzaga forwards, the two Kentucky forwards, Bull Bull. And for Bobby, I was curious if you thought with the Heat seemingly being stuck another year up against the cap, probably won't even be able to use their taxpayer mid-level, would you encourage Riley and the Heat to just sort of stand pat and deal with this for another year and then await cap space in 2020, or would you be aggressively trying to solve their issues now as opposed to being patient? Mike, you go. Uh, yeah. Sure, yeah, in terms of – the guys with the highest upside, I think some of the names you mentioned, uh, Bull Bull, you know, has, has a really high upside with a guy who uh, obviously has incredible length. Uh, he moves well. He can shoot threes. He can block shots, and he can handle the ball. So that's a, a really unique combination. Um, you know, he's had some injuries, and, and he's not the most durable guy. Uh, he, he needs to improve his motor, no question. I think that's the only reason why, you know, he's even considered in in Miami's range, because if it's based on sheer talent alone, he's probably a top five pick. Uh, so I would say he probably has the most upside. Um, and, you know, right behind him, uh, a guy like Nasir Little and, and Kevin Porter, those guys are, are really naturally gifted uh, physically. And Kevin's ability to score the ball and Nasir's athletic traits. Um, but I think in terms of upside, Bull has more than really anyone in that range. 
Right, thanks. And thoughts on the heat of state, Bobby? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, you're, the likelihood is that you probably are going to punt on the off season because of where your roster is. You, you probably would be right at the tax again. And I think Barry, the hard part will be um, waiting until the summer of 2020 because I look at that free agent class as probably being one of the weakest that we've seen in a long time here. I think there's a significant drop-off from this year and also in, in 2021 when you look at outside of, uh, you know, whatever happens with Anthony Davis, it's really kind of Draymond Green and a lot of the players that signed those big contracts in the summer of 2016. Um, so, yes, you will certainly have cap space next year. Um, is there an, an option for Miami to take some of their expiring contracts like Whiteside and Dragic and maybe go out and get a player that has an extra year that eats into that cap space that can help now? I think that could be a, I think that could be um, certainly an option that you need to look at, but it's hard waiting just to the summer of 2020 because, as I said, that free agent class is not like it is going to be this year. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Up next, we have Peter Brock from the New York Post with Jonathan Sauber from Rivals. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing anyone's name. Go ahead, Peter. Uh, hi, guys. Um, I just wanted to, to, to know what you think uh, the importance uh, for the Knicks that they got into the top three. Obviously, you talk about a, th- a you know, the, the three-person draft, uh, you know, at the top. Um, obviously, it depends a lot on what Memphis does at number two. But how do you break down kind of the difference uh, between John Morant and R.J. Barrett as uh, as potential additions to this Nick roster? Uh, yeah, I think getting in the top three was huge in this draft. You know, we've harped on it that. Uh, those three, Zion, John, RJ, are kind of uh, what every team has been, has been coveting. I think there are some players behind them that, you know, will end up being really good players, potentially even better than uh, one or two of those guys because you just never know with, with these young kids. But, um, you know, I think RJ versus Ja is, is certainly a conversation. Um, personally, I think Ja has a little bit more upside uh, just in terms of his explosiveness combined with his feel for the game. But, uh, RJ is going to be a really, really good player. I think he's going to be an all-star caliber player. And, and not every team, you know, sees it the same, right? Like some think that RJ, you know, who came into the season at number one on our board, um, has a chance to be better than Ja for sure just because of his size and um, his ability to score at all three levels and, you know, make others better when he wants to. So uh, I think it's huge to have that top three pick and, and um, you know, it's it's not a clear cut like John Morant is for sure going to be a better NBA player than R.J. Barrett, even though that's kind of how I see it right now. Peter, any follow-up? Uh, no, thank you. Okay. All right, up next we have Jonathan Sauber from Rivals um, with Matt Soch from the Detroit News on Deck. Go ahead, Jonathan. So for Bobby, how do front offices handle evaluating a player like Romeo Langford, who dealt with an injury that affected his play during the season? And then for Mike, how has Langford's injury specifically affected his stock, and what's a realistic range for him on draft night? Yeah, I mean, I think for Romeo, I think it's, you know, what have you seen him during the summer before he got to Indiana, either through Team USA or, uh, you know, Nike Hoop, kind of is there a baseline there before? That, that's the, yeah, that's the big 
that's the big challenge where you're basically using a you know a 20 game sample to take a player at pick you know pick 16 here. Um, I think his individual workouts will certainly help the process. Um, I think how he interviews, what his medicals come back at, um, will will either you know either move maybe move him up the board or down the board, but. Um, you're, you're basing it, you know, as the, this, there's no exact science to the draft process. Sometimes you're kind of just basing it on gut. Uh, he is not a player that was there for two or three years where you have a 60 game sample. So you have to rely on what you saw at Indiana, what you saw be- beforehand, and a lot of your background, either coach went with when you are dealing with the Indiana coaching staff to get more background on the kid. Yeah, and in terms of um, you know how the injury affected his stock, I think uh, I think it does. I mean, you have to take into account the fact that this kid you know played through this, and um, having an injury on your shooting thumb is is not easy to deal with, especially when you're a guy who uh, maybe that's the biggest question about your game is is whether or not you're going to be able to make shots at at the NBA level. So uh, I think it's definitely something that teams need to take into consideration that he played through that and that it, you know, was clearly affected his percentages in some ways. Um, with that said, you know, he wasn't a great shooter prior to this season at Indiana. So I think that was a question mark regardless. Um, but I think it's something that teams definitely have to take into consideration. And, you know, I could see him going anywhere from kind of like eight to 14. Um, you know, he's not for everyone just because I think, you know, his, his, uh, his motor can be a little bit up and down, but in terms of his talent, um, I mean, there's a reason he came into the draft, I think, potentially even in our top five, just because he's kind of a, a prototype two guard who can score at all three levels and at least has the tools to defend, even though, you know, he has room to improve there. So, um, you know, I think teams are kind of all over the board with him, but I could see him going anywhere from eight to 14. Great. Thanks, guys. All right. Up next, we have Matt Scotch from the Detroit News. Um, followed by Charles Hallman from the Minnesota Sports Recorder. Go ahead, Matt. Hey, Mike, this question's for you. I'm asking about uh, Aubrey Dawkins and Isaiah Roby. There's a couple of uh, possible second-round guys. What do they need to prove in uh, workouts with teams and Isaiah at the Combine this week to, to show teams that they're worth drafting? Yeah, I think, you know, for Aubrey, it's about teams figuring out whether or not that, that one – tournament performance was uh, just kind of an outlier, right? I mean, um, you know, he had a little bit of an up-and-down season this year, but I think teams like the fact that, you know, he can shoot the ball and he's explosive. I think he had the benefit of playing the majority of this year at 23 years old, um, which, you know, is a part of the reason why he was able to be so productive. But I think playing with consistent toughness and, and showing that he can make the right reads and do a little bit more with the ball, uh, are, are things that teams are looking for with him. And, and Roby, I think it's all about toughness. You know, I think it's all about toughness and consistency because from a talent perspective, I mean, he has pretty much everything you're looking for in kind of a modern big man, uh, a guy who can, you know, switch screens, who can protect the rim, who can kind of handle as almost a point forward. Uh, I think shooting also in, on top of toughness is important for him. Um, he's a guy who, you know, has, turns down open threes a little bit too often. And so I think teams want to figure out whether or not he's confident enough and tough enough to, to you know, play to where his talent suggests on a consistent basis. Thanks a lot. 
Okay, up next we have Charles Hallman from the Minnesota Sports Recorder um, with Sheldon Michaels from the Baton Rouge Advocate on deck. Go ahead, Charles. Yes, spokesman recorded, but that's all right. Thank you, uh, and to both questions to both men. Uh, can you give a quick analysis on the two University of Minnesota players that are available, uh, Jordan Murphy and Emil Coffey, what their chances are, and then also what do you see the Minnesota Timberwolves going for in, at number 11? Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, Murphy and Coffey, you know, Murphy – I think is at the worst going to have a really strong career in Europe. Um, you know, he's physical, he was productive. I think the key for him is because he's a little bit undersized, being able to step out and shoot the three, I think, uh, for teams to feel comfortable with him, you know, they're going to want him to see him uh, in workouts, you know, show that he has potential to do that eventually. Um, so I think, you know, there's a chance he could potentially stick on, on a two-way contract just because he's long and physical and he rebounds, um, so he's probably more of a fringe guy. And then Coffee, you know, he had kind of an up-and-down showing, I think, at, at the G League uh, Elite Camp Combine. He has great size. Um, you know, he's a pretty fluid athlete. He can make a shot. He's a little bit streaky. Um, but, again, I think because of his size and shot creation, you know, he's a guy who could potentially get a two-way contract as well. Um, so I kind of see them in, in that light, you know, probably not draftable players, but uh, guys who could hang around for a little bit. Um, in that regard. And then as far as guys that are in their range, I mean, I think when you look at their roster, um, is there a player like Kobe White there? You don't know what the future of Jeff Teague and you have Tyus Jones as a restricted free agent. Can he come in and maybe play point guard for you possibly? Um, but I think there's needs across the board. I mean, you look at, you're, you're probably going to lose Taj Gibson in free agency. Um, you know, you need a, um, you know, you need a backup center. You need some depth off your bench as far as with your, with, with your wings there. Um, I know you drafted Josh Koji last year, but it's almost like kind of, you're almost in a holding pattern to see what the teams in front of you do. And it's, and it's, you know, it's who else, you know, it's your pool of three players that you will rank one, two, and three, um, at that position. And you go, you go for there as far as what is left. Thank you very much. All right, up next we have Sheldon Nichols from the Baton Rouge Advocate with Jerry Tipton from the Lexington Herald on deck. Go ahead, Sheldon. Yes, uh, gentlemen, I was wondering what you uh, think uh, Nas Reed and Tremont Waters have to show, what do they have to showcase at the uh, Combine? Also, uh, do you think Tremont can maybe sneak into the second round? I know it's pretty fluid not knowing who's going to be in or out of the draft, but can he sneak in? And also, if if you know anything about Cavell Bigby Williams, if if he's got you know a, a potential as a free agent, obviously. Yeah, I think Tremont is a guy who could really help himself. I think these next couple of days playing at the combine, um, just because he's so gifted with the ball, and and you know in this type of setting, I think guards who have the ball generally tend to thrive just because they have more freedom. Um, you know, I think he could certainly get looks in, in the mid-second round just because uh, he's so shifty with the ball and he can shoot. And sure, he doesn't have great size, but I think his skill level lends itself to fitting in today's game. And then, um, you know, Nas, I don't think he's he's going to take the court today, but his is more about, you know, what is he going to be like in the interview process uh, because he's had, you know, kind of an up-and-down motor in the past. So, uh, you know, showing teams – 
that, uh, you know, he's ready to work hard and ready to put in the time that he needs to uh, to maximize his potential. And, you know, Bigby Williams, I see him as kind of a G League guy who you bring in. Uh, he's an athlete. He's a rim runner, shot blocker. Um, and, you know, you kind of see what you have with him. And uh, so I, I would see him probably in the G League and uh, Tremont with a chance to get drafted and, and Naz, um, you know, definitely likely to get drafted as well. All right, thank you. Okay, up next we have Jerry Tipton from the Lexington Herald um, with Austin Fox from Wolverine.com on deck. Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, I have a similar question uh, as the LSU guy, except for the Kentucky guys. How do you how do you guys assess uh, Keldon Johnson, Tyler Hero, and uh, PJ Washington in terms of what they can do at the combine and how, what what range they're in? Yeah, um, I can I can take this one. I think you know they're they're not going to do a whole lot um, in terms of getting out on the floor and and playing five on five, obviously. But uh, you know I think Tyler is is in a pretty comfortable spot, whether it's you know the mid teens um, or even you know late lottery. I think he's going to look good in workouts because um, his ability to shoot the ball, and then uh, you know PJ as well. I think he's in a very comfortable spot as well. Um, probably likely secured in that late lottery uh, just because he's so solid. And, um, you know, we've seen his improvement over the last year. And then, uh, you know, I think um, Keldon is a guy who could probably sneak into the the mid to late teens as well, just because, uh, you know, his physicality, his toughness, I think he's going to, you know, impress teams in in interview process, um, and, you know, for him, it's about shooting the ball well in workouts. I think that's going to be the key for him. That's probably one of the bigger question marks uh, about his game. He shot a good percentage this last year, but, um, you know, just needs to show consistent confidence from three. And then just as a follow, uh, Kentucky had two other guys that entered their names in uh, Nick Richards and E.J. Montgomery. They're not uh, invited to the combine uh, on the assumption that they come back to college, what, what do you think they need to work on and show improvement in in the next season to be in a better position next year? Yeah, I think for for EJ, it's kind of you know finding his identity, um, and he's got he can do a lot of different things. I think he's he's unique because he's six ten and you know he can step out a little bit onto the perimeter. Uh, obviously still 19 years old. So getting tougher, finding his identity and, and just kind of figuring out how he fits into all this because he doesn't quite have an elite skill right now. And then I think for Nick, it's always been about, you know, playing with a consistent motor. He has he has the tools and um, he has the physical gifts, but being able to hang his hat on being an athletic shot blocker, lob catcher, staying out of foul trouble, uh, thinking the game at a higher level, I think those things are all important for him. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jerry. All right, up next we have Austin Fox from Wolverine.com with Paul Woody from the Richmond Times-Dispatch on deck. Go ahead, Austin. This can be for either one of you guys, but what do you think the three Michigan guys, Matthews, Poole, and Iggy Brezdakis, need to do most at the Combine? And do you see any three of those guys working themselves into the first round potentially? Um, yeah, I can, I can take this as well. Uh, I think that, um, Brazdikas, you know, it's about 
showing that he can make others better uh, and showing that he's a consistent shooter. Uh, I think because, you know, he's, he's farther along on the offensive end than he is on the defensive end, I think teams will want to see that he's a knockdown shooter and that he's a guy who can make others better around him. Um, you know, he was a perfect fit in John Beeline's system playing at that four spot. So uh, I want to see what he looks like defensively against uh, more gifted offensive players. And then uh, Poole, I was a little surprised that he's not electing to play. I think he's a guy who could have helped himself uh, by coming out and making shots and, and showing his talent. Um, so hard to pick up too much of him. I, I think throughout the workout process, you know, he's going to have to prove that um, – you know, it's more so about interviews, really, just that he's uh, his mindset is, is in the right place and, um, you know, that he's able to play within a team system and, and not just out, you know, to get to get his own. And then uh, for Charles, I think shooting the ball, that's always been the key for him. You know, he can really defend. He can handle and pass, but uh, shooting has always been kind of his downfall. So uh, I, I see those guys as, you know, I see Charles as kind of more of a late second round undrafted two-way guy. I think Brezdikas is maybe a, a mid-second type of prospect with the potential to maybe get to into the 30s. And then I think Poole has a wide range. You know, he's talented enough to be a late first-round pick type of guy, but um, it's about, you know, answering those questions I talked about. Thank you. All right, up next we have Paul Woody from the Richmond Times-Dispatch with Ira Winderman from the Sun Sentinel on deck. Go ahead, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for your time uh, this afternoon. There are four University of Virginia players in the draft. Uh, DeAndre Hunter is supposed to be a lottery pick. Ty Jerome, I've seen mid to late first round. Do you think those are accurate assessments? And where do you see Kyle Guy and Mamadi Diakite if Diakite stays in the draft? Yeah, I think I think Hunter uh, has a chance to end up being a top, you know, six or seven pick uh, just because he's a plug-and-play type of combo forward that every team is looking for. I think Ty Jerome, um, you know, he's he's not a guy who's going to stand out in the measurements testing or the athletic testing. So I think some teams view him, um, you know, as an early second-round pick and some teams view him as a mid-first-round pick. Um, I really like his skill set and his feel for the game. So, um, you know, I think he's probably going to end up being a better player than where he's drafted. Uh, and then Kyle Guy, um, you know, I, I've always thought he's going to have a, a big-time career as a EuroLeague player, but with the game, with the way the game is going um, and the, the emphasis put on shooting, you know, you, I don't think you can rule out that he has a chance. I'm not sure he's a guy who gets drafted. Um, but, you know, I, I think that he'd definitely go to training camp and, and um, you know, fight for a roster spot. And then Mamadi, I see him as, as more of a, a G League flyer guy that you, you know, take a chance on because of his athleticism. Okay, and, and I'm sorry. And who, which, who's speaking? I don't know you guys, so. Oh, this is – well, that was Mike Schmidt. I was going to say something, too. Okay. Mike gave you the full sure. dose of Virginia players. But I, but just on Kyle, I, I think the next – and I don't want to put too much stock into, the, you know, the the um, the five-on-five play, but I think if Kyle um, can show that he can play point guard at a heavy dose over the next two days, I think that's going to help him out a lot. Okay. Do you think it was wise for Kyle to enter the draft at this point? 
Well, I mean, he, he's he's going to be six two next year, also. So I don't know if mm-hmm. it's, if it's a, a, you know a size thing. It's hey, every player's got their own reasoning why to do it. Some it's financially, some it's they're ready to they basically accomplish everything. Um, I think where the G League is right. If if you asked me that question ten years ago, I'd say probably not. But I think where the G League is right now is that. It's not the end of the world if you get drafted in the late second round or undrafted at all based on how two-way contracts work and how we've seen players spend a year there and then are on an NBA roster the following year. Mm. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, up next we have Ira Winderman from Sun Sentinel with John Krasinski from The Athletic on deck. Go ahead, Ira. Hey guys, uh, and I both I know who you both are, so don't worry about that part. Um, I am curious about Bowl Bowl and, and sort of how he sets up, sort of Mike from a collegiate exper- perspective and Bobby from an NBA perspective. A- am I wrong in lumping him with sort of the Don Makers and and the Mo Bombas and sort of the, the longer, skinnier guys who came out of college with sort of uneven results? From a college perspective, how much does he show having an NBA game? And Bobby, in today's NBA, that's getting smaller and smaller, although stretch anything still are welcomed, do you see that as a risky choice by a team in the first half of the first round? Yeah, he's he's one of these risk-reward guys. You know, I, I think, like some of the guys you mentioned, he's he's very unique in terms of his length and his, and his skill set. Um, but, you know, he can really shoot the ball. I think that's the thing that, uh, is going to help him kind of stay afloat as he gets stronger, uh, as he improves his motor. It's just that he's so skilled on the perimeter, and even more so than some of the guys you mentioned. Uh, like, he can take a defense rebound and push off the glass and, and go create some offense. So um, my biggest question with him is just his durability with that high center of gravity and thin frame, and, you know, how is he going to be able to make it through an 82-game season? Yeah, and I would say for him, I think if, if your team where Miami is or in that late part of the lottery, are you comfortable with him sitting out a full year? You know, are you comfortable with him taking a redshirt year like we saw with Michael Porter Jr. in Denver and waiting until his second year based on, you know, coming off that, that foot injury? Um, I think the, the bulk of these players that you are going to draft, unless you are probably in the top five or six, are going to be de- developmental projects here. So, um, but from a skill set, I, I agree. I think there is a, a a lot of reward there based on the ability to stretch the floor, his length. Um, we probably haven't seen we haven't seen a player like that with his you know with his length before. Um, so yeah, I mean, but it all comes down to are you you know whoever drafts them, it, it's going you're going to have to play the, the patient game. Mike, just to follow that up, because um, I wasn't certain of this, how much time is he expected to miss? And and is it a Michael Porter situation? I'm kind of curious about that. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think it's a full. I don't think it's a full sit out. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain he's not um, doing team workouts or anything like that. Um, but I, I think that he's going to be back um, for the season. But. It is a, I think it's, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't, I don't know all the details, you know, in terms of his exact timeline. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think he's expected to miss his full rookie season. But 
you know, at, at his size, anytime you have a foot injury, I think you certainly want to take things slow. So um, I'm sure that that's their approach with, uh, you know, his camp. And um, I think it's going to be a long-term play with him, kind of like Bobby said. Thank you, guys. All right, up next we have John Krasinski from The Athletic with James Kripia from The Oregonian on deck. Go ahead, John. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, Bobby, just for you, I know that you know Gerson Rosas well and, and certainly I've had your experiences working with him. I think, you know, maybe when some people up here saw they're hiring a Houston guy, it, maybe they assume it's uh, Daryl Morey analytics, you know, mad scientist type of a, of a guy, but he has such a, you know, a big background in, in coaching and in scouting and in personnel I just as he heads into his first draft here overseeing the wolves what what do you think we can expect and 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 from what you know of him what's he going to lean on as as he kind of navigates this process you know, sitting in the number 11 pick well i think he kind of checks the boxes off of everything that he's probably done in his career you know especially the 17 years in in houston where from scout from management kind of behind the scenes and especially working with him putting together these uh these draft combines when I was with the with the Nets for four or five years. Um he is um well detailed. Um he there will be a full background on every player here. I think he will lean heavily on the scouts with um with the Timberwolves there, the ones that are, you know, there or whoever he brings in here. Um and I think that's kind of what you can hang you know you can hang your hat on going into the draft that um, here's a player that, I mean, here's a co- uh, GM who's, um, you know, hasn't been out of the league for maybe a couple of years um, and is kind of, you know, fine-tuned as far as, you know, who is out there. So um, I, I think, as I said, I said, you know, I think he, he does check all the boxes as far as what you can have as a, um, as a general manager, and I think not just for the American-based players, but what's overseas, over in um, your, over in Europe. That's great. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it. All right. Up next, we have James Kripia from the Oregonian, uh, with Mason Ackerman from the Daily Trojan on deck. Go ahead, James. Well, guys, you've both spoken extensively on Bowl already, but I'll ask you about Oregon's three other players uh, in the draft. So obviously, Lewis King staying in it. Uh, your thoughts on him first, and then secondly, uh, with Kenny Wooten and Peyton Pritchard, assuming they return to college, uh, what they need to work on uh, to better their chances of being drafted uh, next year. Yeah, I think for Lou, you know, I know Bobby can speak on Lou as well. Um, but I, I think for Lou, you know, a lot of it's going to come down to the interview process and, and the medical for him just because he's had some injuries in the past. Um, obviously had a great NCAA tournament. I think he's a guy who's going to, going to work out well. Um, based on his talent, you know, the fact that he's 6'8 and he can make an open three and he can handle a little bit. I mean, he could get looks in the late first, early second. Um, but I think, you know, it's going to come down to interviews and, and the medical in terms of where he goes and then, uh, for the other guys, in terms of what they need to work on, I think Wooten, it's just being consistent. You know, with some days he looks like an NBA player with his explosiveness and his shot blocking. We saw it in the NCAA tournament. Um, and other days, you know, I think he's just he's not completely there in terms of uh, being able to handle the physicality or, or um, make the necessary reads. Um, so I think becoming a smarter and a tougher basketball player is going to help him. And then 
um, with Peyton Pritchard continuing to evolve into more of a point guard. You know, he was more of a scorer at a young age. And, um, so adding, adding more of that to his game, I think, is important. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, regarding what Mike said, I think it's, it's going to be critical how he interviews over the next couple of days here and then how he handles the team visits here. Um, I, don't think, I don't think talent is the one thing that um, teams will, will question, um, but it will be um, as far as from a maturity level, um, you know, with his injuries, certainly with his injuries um, that he had in high school. Um, but I think it's just going to be a matter about a teams having a comfort level with him that they can trust him if they're drafting him in either in the first or second round. Thank you very much. All right, up next we have Mason Ackerman um, with J.R. Gamble on deck. Go ahead, Mason. Mason, do you have a question? All right, we're going to uh, jump ahead to the last caller, uh, J.R. Gamble. Uh, go ahead, J.R. Yes, um, hello, guys. Um, I, I was just wondering, um, with the Zion Williamson uh, pick, um, how, how do you think that that affects um, the New York Knicks as far as what their plans were? And do you think, do you guys actually think he is the best player in the draft or is are there a couple of other guys you feel will end up being better than him? Yeah, um, I, I think Zion is the the best player and the best prospect in this draft. Uh, he's, you know, kind of the epitome of positionless basketball in this this new era that we're seeing. And so, um, you know, you never know. I think John Morant and R.J. Barrett are both really talented as well. And, um, you know, it's going to be important for, for Zion's body to hold up. There's there's no question about that. Uh, as far as New York, um, you know, now that they have number three, I think you're looking at John Morant and R.J. Barrett, and I don't think that the, you know, the whole Zion hangover of, of not getting the number one pick should really affect them. I think they need to do their due diligence on, on those two guys, and, and, you know, they'll end up with, obviously, whoever Memphis doesn't select. But, um, you know, I think they're getting a really good player regardless. Okay, thank you. One follow-up question. I'm based on, you know, what happens in the combine, but who do you think are uh, your top three sleeper guys that um, could really come up big in the future that we are speaking about right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to look at just just the combine of maybe some guys who would play, I think um, Isaiah Roby out of Nebraska, you know, has a chance to be one as an athletic big man who can make a three and block some shots. Um, I think Grant Williams out of Tennessee is a guy who's really going to help himself just because of his toughness, his feel for the game. Um, and then there's a kid who out of Tulsa who's had a really good run, uh, Daquan Jeffries, um, you know, maybe a mid to late second round guy, but long arms, six, five, kind of a three and D wing prospect. He'll be playing these next few days. Also. Okay, thank you very much. All right, um, and we're going to go back to Mason Ackerman for the last uh, call of the – or the last person of the day. Go ahead, Mason. Hey, sorry about that. I guess my mic wasn't working the first time. I was just wondering what you guys thought of uh, Kevin Porter Jr. and what teams around the league think of him, and, you know, especially which team in the, you know, mid to late first round do you guys think would be the best fit for him? And also, uh, 
uh, Benny Boatwright's chances of being drafted probably in the late second round. Yeah, um, Kevin is really talented. I, I'm based in, out in L.A., so I got a chance to see him quite a bit. I think he's one of the more talented scorers in the draft. Uh, if you're looking at sheer talent, physically 6'5", 6'10", wingspan, I mean, he checks all the boxes there. Um, you know, for him, it's about the interview process, uh, you know, answering why he had such an uneven season uh, at USC, you know, why he got suspended, um, why he wasn't able to show much consistency. I think that's what teams want to figure out about him because some days he looks like a top five pick and some days he looks like a guy that, you know, you don't want to invest your draft pick in. Um, so I think, you know, for him it's about going to a situation where he has veterans and he has support um, and the team is able to help him uh, just stay on a consistent path in terms of getting better every day. Uh, Benny Boatwright, anytime you have size and shooting, I think you're going to get looks. Um, so he strikes me as a guy who will probably earn a two-way contract, play a lot in the G League, um, and then kind of go from there. Thank you. All right, uh, that concludes our call today. Thank you all so much for joining. Um, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to Mike and Bobby. Um, they will be part of our combine coverage. Just another plug in here for TuneIn um, tomorrow and Friday from 3 to 7. Um, thank you, Mike and Bobby, for your time.